0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And if it feels like it's been a little while since we did a Virtual Legality episode like this one, all I can say is I'm sorry. We've been doing a lot of stuff on this channel. We've been trying a lot of new formats. And I know a number of you wanted to get back to talking about software technology, video games, and pop culture through the lens of business and law like we do here, and I'm very happy to say that this episode is exactly about that. More specifically, it's about Sony, PlayStation, and what their plans for the future are. What we have in front of us is called the Game and Network Services segment by Senior Executive Vice President, Sony Group Corporation, President and CEO, Sony Interactive Entertainment LLC, Representative Director and President Sony Interactive Entertainment Inc., which is a long way of saying, Jim Ryan. And what this actually is, is a presentation about what Sony and their PlayStation brand looks to be in the future, as well as how well they're doing right now. We're going to look through some of these slides. We're going to have a conversation about what it says, because there's a lot of interesting things to glean from this, including what, if any, changes are going to come to the Sony ecosystem in the pretty near future. With that as background, let's take a look at what this actually does. So we start out with just an overall picture of what playstation looks like right we've got our playstation 5 our biggest ever performing platform playstation 4 maintaining our longest ever tail playstation 4 has been around forever it's still selling people are still playing it playstation 5 is very very popular there's a lot of demand for it of course we've got supply constraints coming off of the pandemic coming off of everything we see in terms of manufacturing and shipping In the United States. You also see that they say they have a lot of growth possibilities in commercial with their PlayStation Plus changes, with their hardware, with their VR system that we'll talk about a little bit as well. Now, before we continue on too far with this review of this particular presentation, I do want to point out, I had a conversation with my friends at the BitCast at Season Gaming that you can find a link to below that talks about a number of the areas that we're going to discuss in this video. I wanted to cover it a little bit more fulsomely in different aspects than we did in that conversation. But if you are interested in that, please do check it out because there's a lot of interesting thoughts from the panelists in that particular venue, and I think that you would enjoy it. After that, we see they've got all these various ways to collaborate. They've got movies, they've got television, they got music and more that they intend to help bring people into the Soki ecosystem, right? hey, this is a business document. This is exactly what we expect from this kind of thing. Look how much our earnings are growing. Look how much operating income we have from the PlayStation brand now in 2022. All the lines are going the right direction. Everything is grand. And we have unprecedented demand. Now, some of this, as we described above, is because of supply constraints, right? If you want a PlayStation 5 right now, what are the chances that you can get one easily? So, As of this period of time after the release of the PlayStation 5, you still see 55% expressing interest in purchasing a PlayStation 5, which in a vacuum, what we would otherwise call an economics ceteris paribus, is a big time increase from that same period of time for PlayStation 4. The difference, of course, which is unsaid on this slide, is that it's not necessarily the case that if you want to buy a PlayStation 5, you actually can. Which is why this stat over here that says we can sell 80,000 units in 82 minutes when it would take us nine days to do the same thing for the PlayStation 4 in its life cycle probably tells you a little something about how popular the PlayStation 5 is, but not entirely. If we look at this asterisk right here, we see that actually leads them to describing something called U.S. retailer events which means these sales are done right now through those announcements you might see on Twitter or in your timelines that otherwise say, hey, Walmart is going to sell PlayStation 5s in an hour. Get ready. Get excited. And then they sell through very, very quickly because you can't find them through ordinary retail channels. So this is nice. This is good. The PlayStation 5 brand is strong. It also isn't telling the whole story about that supply constraint. You also see them talking up that China is enjoying the PlayStation 5 more than they enjoyed the PlayStation 4. More money coming in through that particular Chinese avenue. That's a big deal to Sony because obviously it's a big market for them to crack open. And you see in general that they think gaming is going to increase. Now, a couple of interesting things pop out on this particular slide, one of which is they continue to see the ever-marching growth of mobile gaming and more specifically, mobile gaming revenue, while consoles are not necessarily going to grow at that same clip. Similarly, on this side of the sheet, you see console hardware is gonna stay pretty even or go down the same way that physical console software is gonna go down, while digital console software is expected to kind of tread water and subscriptions and digital add-ons, v Bucks, skins, things that you otherwise buy in a free-to-play or live services game, Sony anticipates to increase, right? When we talk about CY25 here, these are all estimates. This is what it is as we have in the records, This is what we think it's going to be this year. We've got a partial year ready, and then we estimate from there on this kind of line. All of these things are forward-looking. None of the world is going to look exactly as these predictions suggest, but you can see a world where Sony thinks the money is in subscriptions and digital add-ons and maybe not quite as much in selling hardware or physical software. Even digital software is somewhat of a question mark for Sony, who we can start seeing is going to be justifying the strategic moves they're going to be talking about in the back half of this presentation, right? Live services, subscription, this mobile block is going up pretty fast. You see some other stuff. PlayStation is a very popular brand, as they say. Now, interestingly enough, this list is a little odd. They look at what is the top global brand. They say their seventh uh, is against things like Peloton and Instant Pot, which I had to actually be told by my friends at the BitCast what it even is. So this is apparently sourced by the 2022 Profit Brand Relevancy Index. I don't know what that is. I don't know why Instant Pot is there. Peloton has as much negative press as positive right now. So I actually can't tell you what this all means. But it's designed to make you think PlayStation is very well thought of, or at least very often talked about. You also see that their games have never been better. What else are you going to tell? The folks that you're talking to if you're the playstation chief right we've got spider-man we got returnal the show grand theft auto death loop more to come god of war 2 spider-man 2 a wolverine property and some third-party support from things like final fantasy 16 yes looking forward to that trailer someday Forspoken, those are both square enix which if you're in the consolidation game is worth noting hogwarts legacy from warner brothers and avatar from Ubisoft. You then get some stats we're not going to go through entirely, but the one that jumps off the page for me here is that from the PlayStation 4 era in 2015 until now, this paid plus subscription attach rate has gone from 33% of players paying for PlayStation Plus to 82% of those players. If you're ever wondering why we're seeing the changes in the PlayStation Plus approach that we're seeing right now, it's because This kind of attachment rate has become such an important part of the PlayStation ecosystem itself. So why not try to get that price up? Why not try to make it premium so that they can make even more revenues from what is proving to be a substantial amount of their business? Then you can see that monetization, as they describe it, is getting stronger. This middle blue area here is add-ons. Again, that's V-Bucks and skins and other things that can go into fully priced games. But that is trying to swamp some of the income that you get from selling a full price game. And this is how Sony is going to be making its decisions. When you see a report like this, this is designed to get you to the place where you understand what you're going to see later on in the report, which is going to be a push towards subscription and add-ons and things like that. So get ready for that. That's why I called it Sony Changes Course, because Sony up until really this presentation, although we've seen rumblings, we've heard whispers of it before this, has been the walled garden, single player narrative, boutique prestige gaming company. And now they're looking at EA, they're looking at Xbox with their Game Pass product. They're looking at other companies and saying, there's money to be made with live services. We're going to invest heavily in that. And you can hear us talk about that decision back when they announced they were purchasing Bungie for their live services expertise. And you better believe that pending acquisition gets its own slide here. We've got supply issues. As we already discussed, there is a supply constraint on what they can sell in terms of hardware. They know that they anticipate solving that in the years to come. We will see if they do that. And then they talk about the PlayStation 4 a little bit. You see a digital shift during the pandemic era to digital purchasing even faster than it was already happening. And that free-to-play spending has gone way, way, way up. All of this is designed rhetorically, message-wise to get you to the place where they're talking about their future strategy. And you say, well, if that's what we're working off of the first half of this report, that makes a ton of sense. You see that most people are satisfied with PlayStation Plus. I don't know who these people are that are giving it a 10 But that's up to them. That's between them and their surveyor and that the percentage of total subs base has been, it looks like steadily increasing uh, towards PlayStation 5, but we'll see exactly when they can get PlayStation 5s into people's hands. Uh, The PlayStation 4s had a much stronger cycle than the PlayStation 3 because the PlayStation 3 was not their strongest generation. And now halfway through this report, we get to some of the stuff that I really want to talk about with you. You see they've divided what their new growth vectors for you business students with some nice business corporate language here are intended to be. And they divide it into commercial expansion, which is their PlayStation Plus project, their PlayStation Direct project, which effectively is their store, selling you things directly, and their PlayStation Virtual Reality 2, their VR2 launch, which is pending. We'll see if they make that out this year. Portfolio expansion, the ability for them to make more games ongoing MA, expanding our ip and then a lot of what we're going to talk about is right here in this sixth box and that is live services games as a service games that have a component that requires constant upkeep and constant infusions of content think fortnite think destiny those are live services games and sony is going to be making a huge investment in becoming a live services game company, and then audience expansion. We know they're moving into PC, they're gonna be moving into mobile, and something that they describe here in this box as Beyond Console. They then break this down into commercial expansion first. We know PlayStation Plus already. We've talked about the PlayStation Extra, PlayStation Premium, other things that are happening with that, problems that I have in general with the way they've named these things and divided them. I might do another video this week or next talking about some of the issues we've seen already with the early rollout of PlayStation Plus Premium, but suffice to say, they're putting PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now together to compete, with Game Pass and to allow players to pay some kind of monthly fee or annual fee to get access to a big library of games. Then you see they're intending to expand their ability to provide PlayStations and PlayStation software directly to customers, not going through a retail outlet. In Europe, make more money off of that. They think they can grow that from 458 million to 1.5 billion. So they have plans for this to increase in the very near term. We'll see if that pans out for them. And then, like I said before, the PlayStation VR 2, which I'm excited about seeing what it can do. We've got a state of play that Sony just announced where they're going to show off some VR 2 games next week. And I think it's pretty close to release. I don't know if that's this year or next year, but I think it's pretty close to release. And they're banking on it, doing some sales for them. I'm interested to see what they come up with. But that all is what we're used to seeing, right? Sony's going to do some more PlayStation Plus stuff. They're going to sell some more stuff to you. They've got another version of their VR product, which has already been out for a number of years. Portfolio expansion, I think, is where people get really, really interested. So first, they summarize all the fun things they have purchased or otherwise invested in since May of 2021. This list, which is the entire screen, is only from one year ago. They invested in Discord. They bought Housemark. They bought Nixies. They bought Firesprite. They bought Bluepoint. They invested in Devolver. They bought Valkyrie. They're pending a purchase of Bungie. They bought Haven, and they've invested in Accelibyte. And that's a lot of stuff over here where you see the full-time employee equivalents you see that Bungie alone is 800 people fire sprite is actually more than 200 they've added a thousand people once the Bungie deal is approved to their portfolio of folks working on things and that's a big time move and as part of this whole briefing this was a presentation that was put forth with a briefing sony has gone out there and said we're not done we're going to be doing more mergers and acquisitions we're going to be expanding our ability to make games including live services games, which is exactly what they intend for Bungie to do. So this says ongoing mergers and acquisition activities, colon, Bungie synergies. Why does Bungie work for us? Why do we work for them? Because if you remember, if you go back in the video on this channel, the Bungie deal is unusual. Sony doesn't get to control their publishing, doesn't otherwise get to manage them like we see other subsidiaries that are purchased in these merger acquisitions. So why did Bungie agree? Well, Bungie agreed because they want to leverage scale of SIE publishing and platform marketing, global, and business operations. So they want to be able to use Sony to market their stuff. They want to have PlayStation Studios Central Services. They want to make movies and television out of Destiny and whatever other intellectual property they create. We saw that in the press release as well. And then they want some back office support right? It's hard to run a company. And so they'd really like to be able to lean on Sony's legal finance, accounting, HR, and other back office needs. That makes total sense from Bungie's standpoint. What is Sony getting? It ain't Destiny that pops up here. It's not a game at all. Live services expertise to PlayStation Studios, right? The first half of this report was about how the growth in gaming is going to be mobile. It's going to be subscriptions. It's going to be live service add-ons and that kind of thing. So why do they buy Bungie? Why do they quote unquote overpay, you might've seen reported in a number of areas. They do it because they want to take the brains at Bungie that have figured at least some of this stuff out by making Destiny and making it work and sprinkle them over the entirety of what PlayStation Studios is going to be making so that they can use that expertise, that institutional knowledge to jump in ahead of the game for whatever live services they intend to create going forward. And In that vein, the next box here says they want to help build SIE's live services center of excellence, which is a very corporate kind of way of framing these things out. But again, it's Bungie helping make Sony leap a few spaces in line for figuring out how live services games are actually made and live service business operations to the platform business. They want help on actually working through the economics and how all these things function at once. They're buying Bungie to help make this happen. And you can see even here in the small version of how they're getting ready to onboard Bungie once the deal is finalized. Month one is Bungie PlayStation Studios process immersion. We're going to talk to you in month one about how we make movies and how we make TV shows and how they're greenlit and how you can get things through the process and get the money from those studios to make what you want to make. What are Bungie's principles and philosophy? We're going to talk to Sony about that in month three. It is being treated as what we might otherwise describe as a merger of equals, even though it's not from a monetary perspective. Like that was what was necessary to get Bungie in the door. And Sony was willing to do it because they see all the money up here in live services. Now, as a Sony fan or player, you don't have to love that. I'm just trying to describe what I'm seeing in these boxes. And the next one makes that even more clear, right? Here we have fiscal year 19. We spent 77% of our money on existing IPs. And we're we're going to spend 50% of our money on existing IPs in the future and share that with new IPs going forward. And that might sound pretty cool. Hey, who doesn't love new IPs? Who doesn't love new games? And we can see these boxes are a lot bigger, which suggests that, hey, we're still going to be spending money on existing IPs, whatever you like, whether it's God of War, Ragnarok or Ratchet and Clank or things that already exist, but we're going to be spending a lot more overall. And if you're just an investor in Sony, if you're just looking at this, you say, why in the world does our costs get so high in a six-year period from where they were in fiscal year 2019. And honestly, that's going to be the live services question answered. Then you get a thing here that talks about, hey, we're making movies. We're making the movies, sell the video games. We're making the video games, sell the Legos. The Legos sell the video games. We're going to use an HBO show to sell the video games. More ways for existing fans to engage with the products that they love. But here is where the rubber hits the road. Right. Projected game category growth shows all of that growth in digital add-ons and not in console hardware or software, or I'm sorry, software, digital or physical. And so what are we going to invest in? Sony has said, this is how the world is going to look in six years or, or three years actually from now. How, this is how the world is going to look. So how do we get there? Well, in 2019, we spent 88% of our money on what they call traditional which we have to assume is effectively normal-ish software that is outside of what they otherwise categorize as live service. They only spend 12% of their money on live services. Why? Because according to Sony, they only have one live services game, and that's the show. By 2022 here, estimated, because we're only in a partial year, it's going to be about 50-50, pretty much even, but a lot more money overall, right? We talked about earlier in the slide that they were going to spend a ton more money making games. Why does that exist? Well, it's because even though they're going to keep roughly the same amount of, Of money spent in 25 as 19 for traditional game services, they're dumping this whole box on top of that. Because if there's one thing that Sony appears to recognize in this presentation, it's that in order to make live services games work, you have to spend the money to actually service them. And it's not a live service if you send it out there and promise content sometime in the future, in three months, nine months, 12 months, you actually have to spend the money to have the people in place. And Sony appears to acknowledge that here, which I think is an overall good thing, but it does mean that their attention is going to be divided between what Sony players are probably already interested in, right? Because investment was in those things in fiscal year 2019 into more and more different types of products, a lot of which are going to be live services. Now, as I said, the only thing they currently think of as a live service game is the show, their baseball game, with everything else being their quote unquote single player game catalog. As we look at this graph or chart over here, we see that the show in fiscal year 21 is actually going to become 12 live services games by Sony's plans by fiscal year 25. We also got a report from Jim Ryan that he's planning to launch two more live services games. And you see here VGC using a giant twisted metal picture. Does that mean anything? Hard to say that they're going to launch those things before March of 2023, so that Sony will effectively triple their output of live services games from one to three. And that doesn't even include Destiny, which of course is Bungie's main property. And once they own Bungie, they're at least realizing the revenues from Destiny, even if they aren't controlling its publication or creative direction. So this is the kind of thing that got reported on in a bunch of places that I saw because Sony really intends to launch into this live services space. They intend to to what we're seeing in the market in general to transform their company into something that right now it isn't because that's where they see the money living and I can't necessarily blame them but I do think it's an interesting shift because while this looks like the money doesn't actually change for traditional gaming if they find success in this upper box you do have to wonder how long they would even stick with this model if all the profits are being generated up here So is this the death knell for Sony? I think the folks that have been saying that in forums and elsewise are probably ringing that bell a little bit too early, but it is a suggestion that Sony is no longer going to be the single player boutique prestige wall garden company, that they are adopting some of the things that we see most prominently from the Xbox model and trying to move into what is a very lucrative market of live services games. And effectively, they've tried to jump the line in terms of expertise by buying Bungie to do it. And isn't that interesting. Now you also see here that they want to get exponential growth by moving games to PC. we knew that and that they have aggressive mobile plans. This also puts the fear of God into my fellow gamers in some respects, at least those that like playing on their plastic boxes under their TV where they find that they're now going to co-develop top IP with industry layers. they want they, leaders they want to remain faithful to the values of the PlayStation Studios, which is great, but they want to make a ton more mobile games and evolve their first party portfolio. Right, fiscal year 2019, you had a little bit of PC and the rest was PlayStation 4. By the estimate for this year, they wanna have this PlayStation 5, this both together, so this realistically what the current generation is, this be PC and here comes mobile swinging in and they want by 2025 that mobile block to be much bigger, that PC block to be much bigger, the PC mobile together, things outside the traditional PlayStation ecosystem making up half of the releases that they're actually making as a company. Now, isn't that interesting as we consider what Sony wants to be moving forward? Final slide here of Substance talks about there being more platforms, not just PC and mobile, but virtual reality, which we saw, the cloud, whatever the hell the metaverse means to Sony, and with better experiences like their Discord integration from their big investment, a better store, PlayStation Direct, PlayStation Plus. They want to start moving away from what Sony has been for a long time, be more collaborative across their group, affect society, all sorts of stuff you generally see from these kinds of presentations at a corporate level. But the reason I wanted to make this video for you all was to talk about the notion here, right? To talk about Sony going out there in public and saying, we are going to be investing heavily in live services, games, games as a service. And we promise in those grids, in those charts, in those tables, that that's not going to take away from our single-player narratives. But my question to you, and you could leave your answer in the comments below, is do you believe them? Do you think that that's realistically what will happen here if they find success with live services games? Or do they become the next Electronic Arts, where Electronic Arts is effectively just a live services financial report with the occasional single-player game thrown in, like Jedi Survivor, which we just saw announced this week. I have my concerns. I'm willing to see if Sony can bear this out. More games, better games, better investment in games is always a good thing, but I do worry that this signals a sea change for Sony and that the Sony of five years from now won't be the Sony that so many people grew to love over the last five generations. This has been Virtually Gaudi for today. If you enjoy talking about the business and law of video games, technology, software, and more, please consider supporting the channel at Utreon or at Patreon. Either way gets us some resources to keep making this content for you and makes it all possible, including a tier on those services that allow you to sponsor the channel for a month. And I want to give thanks to those sponsors for sponsoring us for the month of May. Right now, Lethal 5-String, Falcus Vipus, Nord, Opal Studded Dagger, Brendan Coleman, Lady Emily, and for the first time in this channel's history, a second page of sponsors. I want to thank Sinfrog and Dragon Girl. Thank you so much for making all of this possible, that the channel is possible because of viewers, subscribers, and other folks like you. If you haven't seen it, we've got a join button now. We've got the YouTube membership available. If you want to check that out, we're doing a lot more live streams. The primary benefit right now is some live stream acknowledgement. I'm going to work on getting some emojis made for that. Either way, If you don't like any of those ways to support the channel, just subscribing, telling your friends, leaving comments, upvotes, that kind of thing. Every little bit helps the channel be seen by YouTube and otherwise get out to more and more people. And if you haven't seen, we are celebrating passing 100,000 subscribers this week. I can scarcely believe it. And it's because of viewers and listeners like you that made it possible. So thank you from the bottom of my heart to everybody that's checked in on Virtual Legality that's hung with me for a couple of weeks now without a specific Virtual Legality Prime episode. I really appreciate the support and I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed,